getting better, I can tell. Uh, all right. So, this morning, our first announcement is, of course, we have a fellowship meal following our time together today that will be uh, prepared for us by Scott and Carla, so you can thank them, be good food, stick around for fellowship and all that good stuff. Um, let's see. We have our normal uh, weekly uh, activities. Uh, on Wednesday, we have the touch point with Pastor Stephen Joyce at 9 a.m., and then at 6 o'clock, we have the Amplify Youth Group meeting. We have the kids' activities, and we have a men's group. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have a special announcement here. Uh, our sympathies go out to the family and the loved ones of Kayleen Strong, who passed away on Wednesday, February the 8th. A memorial service will be held here at 10th Strike Community Church next Thursday, February 16th at 10.30 a.m. with, 10, with Tim Pomp officiating. Visitation will begin at 9.30. Uh, we had a couple other th things added here at the last minute. Uh, and want to, everybody to know that we're still looking for help in the kitchen. If you are interested in helping with that, please talk to Zach or, Car or Carla. Uh, it's a good time in the kitchen. There's good fellowship in there, believe it or not. You can, you can uh, serve God in all sorts of ways, and you can fellowship with uh, believers in all sorts of ways. And it's a, it's a, a good way to, uh, to serve our church and to serve our body here. Washing those dishes, putting them away, it's, it's actually quite fun, I find. So uh, if you'd like to do that, please tell Zach or Carla. Uh, and also, uh, we have something about the fielded Bethany workers uh, needing uh, relief. It's there on the, the screen. Uh, if you'd like to give to that, that's at bethanyinternational.org. Uh, and that's involved with our church body giving on an international scale. Oh, that's for the earthquake. Okay. All right, so there's an immediate relief thing, campaign going on, and we're asking if you'd like to give to that, you can go to that website. All right, and that'll be the announcements in the announcements on Tuesday. All right. All right, and so I think that's our announcements for the day. So, uh, what I'd like to share with us this morning is something I, I've been thinking about. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that I was thinking about uh, different themes for this year, and I, I had the word feasts come to mind. And so if you want to know about the feasts of the Old Testament, the feasts of the Hebrew calendar, you have to go to Leviticus 23, which isn't a, maybe a chapter of the Bible that a lot of us have spent a whole lot of time with. Uh, but I'll read us just the first few verses and some things I want to point out. So this is in Leviticus 23, starting at verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. And this is the first, and this one might surprise you. The first is, Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath, a solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all of your dwellings. Now, this morning, when you were getting ready for church, uh, when you were putting on your, your Sunday best, when you were corralling the kids or maybe corralling your significant other, 
Um, <laughs> uh, you probably weren't thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm preparing to go to a holy convocation. I'm getting myself ready for a feast of the Lord today, right? Uh, we don't always think of it that way. But that's the way the, the Bible portrays our, uh, the Sabbath rest, the seventh day where we uh, dedicate that one day to the Lord and thinking on him, remembering him. Now, in our modern day, uh, the Sabbath day, the seventh day rest may not seem like too big of a, uh, a conception, right? We, we have weekends built into our weekly schedule. Our work week uh, usually has uh, it in the contract that we sign. If, if you usually, if a job didn't have uh, a seventh day rest of some kind, we'd be like, I don't know about this job, right? Uh, but in the ancient times, this would have been seen as great foolishness. <laughs> uh, you would have been an idiot to design a work week in which you were skipping out on one-seventh of the, your ability to work, one-seventh of your ability to gain revenue for yourself, financial success. Uh, a people, an entire people group, an entire kingdom of people who spent one-seventh of their time resting and dedicating their time to the Lord would have looked like great idiocy from the eyes of a world who was watching. And the reason, though, the Lord has us do this <laughs> uh, isn't just to sing songs to him, but it's, a, it's all about a matter of trust, <laughs> asking, especially in an ancient setting, a people group to give up one-seventh of their time is, is asking a great deal. It's asking a great deal of trust. It's speaking this message of, you need to trust in me, trust that my provision will come through, that that one-seventh of time that you are doing away with will be supplied in full back to you. Uh, so in a sense, the Sabbath day is something I'd like, to, I'd like to think of as a tithe of our time. And we often think of tithe as like money or finances or goods, um, but time we don't always think about. But it's, this fund, it's a fundamental aspect of our existence, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, it's something that we, we even, we even have a little saying for this, don't we? We call it, we say time is money, right? <laughs> uh, because how you spend your time is how you can gain things in this life. Uh, but the Lord instructs us that if we spend our time with him, <laughs> simply spending it with him, dedicating it to him, saying, this is your time, Lord, it's like giving that portion and saying, I trust that if I give my time to you, that that will actually benefit me in the long run as a person, as a people, right, that he is our supplier. We're saying, I trust you by coming here on a day like today. And so I'd like to just to imagine what it's like for a people group to actually do that, to dedicate their one-seventh of their time. If you pull back from your life and you looked at every Sabbath day laid out, every seven days, it would become, it's, it's a pattern. It would become the fabric of your life would suddenly seem to be uh, and completely oriented towards that seventh day, wouldn't it? You would maybe fill in the other six days with all sorts of different tasks, but on that seventh day, it was always the same, always that centralized idea of spending time and dedicating the time to the Lord and the worship of him and thinking on him and knowing that you are in relationship with him. Now, the danger of that is obviously when you set up a pattern of something, uh, you have the, de the, the danger of it becoming monotonous, of becoming a duty, um, especially if you're a child, uh, you think of, oh, got to go to church every seventh day. But the purpose of this was always for it to become the heartbeat of our life, the very center core 
that excites us. And I think that's why it's included in a list of feasts, in the list of celebrations. Uh, it's a holy convocation, a coming together of people to celebrate and worship a good God who is the provider of all things. And before I leave off, I, I want to just, uh, I, I can't help myself. There's a little, a little secret, a little nugget in the Bible uh, that uh, excites me about the seventh day Sabbath, and it's, and it's this. Uh, the Bible tells us that the reason uh, we, use, we do seven days, we, we always celebrate on the seventh day. I don't know if you've ever wondered that. Why, why seven days? Why not ten or five? It'd be better if we did it every five, right? <laughs> uh, but on the seventh day is because in the book of Genesis, in the first chapter of Genesis, we read that God is designing the very fabric of time. He's dedicating each day to uh, providing something into the world, a part of its life, a part of its goodness, right? Uh, and we see a pattern. If you read the first book of Genesis, there's a nice little pattern for you. It's God creates something, and it says there was evening, and there was morning the first day, and then he does something else, and there's an evening, the morning, the second day. And this goes on for six days, and then you get to the seventh day, and all it says is that God rests, and he dedicates that day as a holy Sabbath. But what you'll notice is that it's missing something. That pattern of there was evening and there was morning is missing. On that seventh day, all it simply says is that God rests and he dedicates it as holy, and there is no end to that day. Now, intellectually, we know that obviously that seventh day of creation ended and that time went on, but the Bible isn't always interested in our, our intellect. It's interested in the heart of the matter. And so I like to believe that the heart of the matter that's being spoken in that little, that little secret place is that God's desire isn't just for every seventh day to be a Sabbath, but that for all time to be a full Sabbath, a whole Sabbath, that all our time is actually dedicated to him. And that's really the purpose of us gathering here is to remind us that even if we're giving just a tithe of our time, it's actually all his time. It's all dedicated to him. It's all worthy of who he is. And so just thinking on that this morning, I'd just like to pray for us, remind us that our, our tithe boxes are on the back walls there. Jesus, we dedicate this time to you. We dedicate our lives to you. And we stand here in remembrance that this time that we spend together isn't just, um, just a tradition. It's not just something we do out of obligation, but it's out of celebration. Jesus. It's out of the, just the, the upfilling of our, our whole selves saying, this is what our lives are actually about. This is the purpose that we were placed on this earth, to know you, to dedicate ourselves to you, to be in relationship with you. It's a revolution of the very way of experiencing life, and we are so excited to be a part of it, and so glad that you have made that available to us through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. So, Without further ado, we'd like to welcome uh, Kent Dudley up back to the stage. What's that? Yes, yes, you can use my mic. <laughs> uh, speaking of someone who knows the, the art of celebrating a Sabbath day. <laughs> Amen. Right? Uh, when are you going to start pastoring? I see that on you. Do you see that mantle upon his life? Um, I remember the very first time those two in, impacted my life. And Chantel's, we were at your play, your diner. Was that a Christmas thing? 
they were goofy as a couple bedbugs, but very memorable at the time. And I, they made me smile. They made me smile the whole time, and huh, which is not easy to do. I'm not a very happy person, so. Um, but I'm serious. God has got a, an anointing on you to, to bring his word and to lead and to encourage. The church today needs encouragement, don't we? We're living in a time, I just, my heart goes out for those people in Turkey and Syria. 20, I heard on the news this morning, 29,000 dead and many thousand missing yet. Let's take a moment right now just to go before God and pray for them. They're, they're people just like us. Can you imagine, before we pray, can you imagine, my wife and I were, as we drove up to the church, our little boy Danny calls this church the Uawi Church. You know why he calls it the Uawi Church? Because it four years ago in March it had a big Uawi. The whole roof caved in. Right back there. Kind of uh, where Steve or Sue and uh, you guys are in a danger. No, you're not. They fixed it. But that whole roof came down. And I, we were just saying, we're so glad it was, what was that on a, early in the morning, on a Wednesday morning, there was nobody here, so no one was hurt. But can you imagine if the roof collapsed today and every person in here was killed? Sometimes we hear these stories and of problems in other areas of the world, but when it comes home, then it becomes very real to us. My wife and I used to hear about families that would lose children, have their children die. It became very real to us. We were living in the turkey experience in our house. And so don't take it lightly when you hear this. Don't just say, oh, yeah, that's too bad for them. I'm glad it's not me type thing. But they're going through a season where they will not be over this in a week or two, folks. And they need Jesus to come and reveal himself to them so that they might have hope and joy in him. What we've gone through, if we wouldn't have God to look toward, even though I was mad as a hornet at him, I knew he was there. And I knew no matter how bad my attitude would be or how much I was upset with him, it wouldn't change him. And I guess the thing that comforts me the most is he showed me a picture of myself. I was that lamb on his shoulders. Remember that? Where he went out and got the 99 and he came back smiling. He was that. I was the lamb on his shoulders. And he had showed me that years ago. And so I know that my God will always seek me out no matter where I am. And that goes for you too. Because believe it or not, I'm no more special than you are. But I'm not any less special either to our Father. So as we pray for these people, let's really feel what they're going through this morning. They said there are millions that are homeless today. Millions that will have nowhere to go. Let's pray. Kent, just before you go ahead, that, um, 
you know, when Danny saw that, you know, he, he was with you that, was he with you that morning when you came? And, mm -hmm, I think so. And looked at it, but anyway, the Aoi Church, is that what it was? Uaui. Uaui. It's yeah. always been the Uaui Church ever since. And, and so what was in his heart was to help. Mm -hmm. And see, that's, that's what God does through his people, and even that's Danny good. that day. That's what, he came to church the next Sunday. And if you lift that pulpit right there, you'll see, I just keep it there because it's a symbol. Danny made that, I guess, right? Did he make it? He made it, yeah, for the church. Danny made it, and he brought this to me. And that's what he said, ooh, And what was in his heart was to help the church, and that's how he did it. And so we just keep it under there. Amen. Good reminder. Made me cry a little bit. He was four years old then. He was four years old. But his heart was to do something. Because what he recognized as a safe place, as a place of refuge where his family went to worship, was broken. And these people, their lives are broken today. They're hurting today. You see the pictures on television after the tornadoes and after the, the hurricanes and the families that are, it's like they're staggering around their, where their homes were and they're picking up pieces of what used to be. And let me tell you, even though we aren't worshiping our home or we don't worship the things we have, we can appreciate them and we can get attached in a sense of it's okay. Who blessed us with those things? Our Father. And when they break, the heart should go to giving and helping and being there and not just saying, oh, get over it. You'll be all right. I remember when our first daughter, Renaya, died that week. I can't remember if it was before the funeral or after. It doesn't matter. Chantel and I went to Country Kitchen for a breakfast and somebody came walking over skipping and hopping and and she said now you quit being sad and you be happy your girl's in heaven and you just need to rejoice now and that's enough no more crying I thought I need to get my wife out of here before she punches this lady in the mouth because I think it was getting close and then if she wouldn't have yeah she was going to lay on hands in a way that probably wasn't biblical in any manner but if you're hurting today we'll get back to that prayer in a minute if you're hurting today it's okay man these lights are bright although you look a lot better when there's a glare no I'm just kidding but if you're hurting today Don't let anybody tell you you have to be okay right now. Because those people who lost their homes and their families, there are moms standing there today where the husband and all their kids are dead, but she's still alive and she's going, why didn't I get crushed too? And there's daddies that are digging through rubble this morning looking for their children, hoping, just hoping that one of them might be alive yet. Don't go tell them that everything's fine. That's a load of crap. It's not fine. 
We need to love them right where they are. And you know what? That makes us feel uncomfortable. You know why she didn't like seeing you cry? Because she's uncomfortable with your tears. She likes you better when you're dancing and happy. We all do, right? But that's not reality. That's not where we live. And this whole message today, it's so interesting how it comes back. And I, you know, Joy always texts me and says, you have scriptures? I said, well, I'll send you some, but probably won't do any good because very seldom do I follow what I planned. But my message this morning is just as I am. That's the title of it. Right where those people in Turkey and Syria are at. That's where we have to meet them. Vietnam vets. Don't go tell them everything is fine. Some do better than others, right, Tom? Some days are better than others, right? I had a Vietnam vet come up to me after the service yesterday and for some reason, I had gotten around to honoring the vets and had them raise their hands, and we all clapped for them during a funeral. I don't do things quite the way most people do, but that's okay. He invites me back, so don't blame me if you don't like me at the end of the day. It's Pastor Steve's fault. He'll probably point at Joyce. He's passing the buck down now. But you can't just tell a vet everything's fine today. And you know why? Because they've seen things and had to do things that you and I didn't have to do. And yes, do we have a God who brings us up and holds us and loves us? Yes, we do. But that doesn't take away that brokenness and that memory. And it does heal and it does fade. But then we still have to remember just as I am. Just as I am. When's your baby due, Linnea? March 17th. There'll be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow there. I dare you, Peter, in when she's in labor. <laughs> I dare you to say, but sweetheart, don't you know the joy this baby's going to bring? Be happy. You will lose teeth <laughs> and maybe other things, too. I don't know. But that dog ain't going to hunt during the labor, okay? Just a word of wisdom. I didn't think you would do it, but don't do it. But we have to minister and love people right where they are. Our group got blessed good news this week. Rod, we get to go back to prison next August 18th. We're going back to Bismarck Penitentiary to minister to those guys. We have to speak to them, right? We're, they're in jail, you know? I remember watching that Johnny Cash show, I Walked the Line, and he went into Folsom Prison. You know, you, you really shouldn't sing songs that remind them where they are, the warden told him. Hey, warden, they know. They know where they are. They're in jail. 
They killed people, they murdered, they raped, they stole, they did whatever. They're in jail. You better meet them where they are or you're not going to make any difference to them whatsoever. But you know what? It makes us feel uncomfortable when life isn't in a nice, clean little frame. Sometimes God takes that picture of our life and it gets shattered. And sometimes we are the reason it was shattered. Sometimes it happens to us. I always told people, I said, whether you shoot yourself in the foot or somebody else shoots you in the foot, first thing we got to deal with is, my friend, you have a hole in the foot, right? We can get to the, the hows and the whys later, but we better deal with your foot now, right where you are. Father, we lift up the people in Turkey this morning. And our heart does break for them, the moms, the dads, the babies that are walking around, and both parents were killed And it's not like they have somewhere where they can just run and and find comfort and someone to hold them. Lord, move our hearts to make a necklace today and give to those that are hurting to reach out to those that are doing the humanitarian things there and, and comforting the hurting. And Jesus, above all, bring them your love. Because without your love, we are sounding gongs. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read you a story before, um, well, I guess we already kind of started. That's how God works, though. He meets us right where we're at. I thought I saw Arliss come in here. Hi, Arliss. How are you this morning? Arliss was working at Havenwood, do you realize, almost 30 years ago when that young, scared little preacher came in and started as a chaplain at Havenwood Care Center. Um, I was 12 when I started there. No, I'm just kidding. Where's my drummer? I need Um. This is one of the stories that I, I save a lot of stuff. And this is called Taper for all of you younger people. And it was actually typed on here. <laughs> you ever seen a typewriter, some of you? you know? I still have tons of paper stacks with all my little gems of stories and notes. And, and I'll probably never, I drug it from our home in Laporte. I drove it, drug it to Clover. I drug boxes back to Solway. I drug them all the way to Park Rapids. That reminds me, I, I had a bad drug problem when I was a kid. My mother drugged me to church. She drugged me to Sunday school, drugged me to Wednesday night service. I was thinking of, you said you needed help in the kitchen. And washing dishes and stuff. 
She always looks at me like, where are you going now? <laughs> this isn't about you, so you're okay. My dad was a great one-liner. He would get a little smile on his face, and you knew one was coming. At the end of supper every night, he'd say, well, I'm going to do the dishes, or I'll see to it they get done. And I don't think I ever saw his hands in the, in the dishwater at all. But he had seven daughters and three boys, so he didn't have to wash dishes, but he saw to it they got done. And when he lived with us, he would get done eating, and he'd push back big meals Chantel had made, and he'd look at me and says, I think we ought to keep her around for another day. But he was always doing the one-liners. And, and you don't realize how much we learn from our parents. We pick up so much from our, our parents and our, our grandparents. But I watched my dad at 87 years old when my mom began to go downhill with dementia. Man, I watched, I, I seen her love her for 65 years before that. But the last three years that I watched my funny dad, the little one-liner, I watched him help her get dressed. I watched him help her cook and then eventually do all the cooking. I watched him bathe her, dress her, comb her hair. I had to cut her toenails. I got that, the fun job, fun stuff he saved for his son. But I learned from that man how to love someone right where they were. Because my mom was amazing. She, she came to Jesus at 13 years old. She was led to the Lord by her school teacher in school at 13. Can you imagine that? They would hang the teacher from the oak tree in the playground now if they prayed with the child in the school. And yet Mrs. Raditz and my mom knelt down. She prayed sinner's prayer in school. And it changed her life. It changed my life. And now I was watching as my dad took care of her and loved her until the final day when my dad and I had to go and sit down on a hospital bench alone, just the two of us, and we had to say, it's time. It's time to stop doing things to her. What we were doing medically was not really for her, it was more to her. And it was time just to say, Lord, take her home. And that was the greatest example of how much he loved her. He didn't want to see her hurting anymore. He loved her just as she was. This is written by a lady named Virginia. Since my father's death two months ago, everything has overwhelmed me. There are so many things to deal with, so many bills, so many decisions, so many feelings, and then there's my mother. My mother has Alzheimer's disease. She is growing progressively more confused and unable to make 
take care of herself. My dad devoted the last two years of his life to caring for her. He cooked, cleaned, bathed her, even saw to it that she got her hair done once a week. Now I have come to Florida to stay with Mama and do these things for her. But I can't get used to seeing my 74-year-old mother behave like a three-year-old. We are standing at the checkout counter at the supermarket. The clerk is bagging our groceries, and my mother is busily taking a handful of candy bars from the display rack. She shifts restlessly from foot to foot, back and forth. Don't do that, Mama, I say to her, my voice strained. And please stand still. Everybody's looking at you. Suddenly, she heads for the exit. Where are you going now? I grabbed her hand and pulled her back to my side. Now stand right here until I finish paying. It's all I can do not to grab her by the shoulders and shout at her, Mama, you know how to behave. Stop acting like a child. And then I'm angry at myself. After all, she can't change her condition by an act of her will. As we drive home in the car, my thoughts fasten obsessively on my mother. She won't do anything I ask. She can't, uh, I can't get her to eat. She naps all day and wanders about the house all night. I sleep on the couch so to catch her when she walks by, which means I don't really sleep. I doze. I give her the tranquilizers the doctor prescribed, but feel they should have been given to me. I have even bought mega vitamins for her, hoping against hope to bring her memory back by improving her nutrition. Throughout this time, I have been impatient, frustrated, and resentful. I'm not accustomed to telling my mother what to do. It doesn't feel right. Until now, she had always been the one in charge. I don't know how to act anymore, so I react. I scold her as if she was a naughty child. Don't. Go to sleep now, Mama. Sit down and eat your lunch. Get up, Mama. Stay awake. Go back to bed. What more can I do? I'm doing everything in my power to force her to act as normal as possible. And then I hear what I'm saying to force her. Power, force, coercion, threats. Do this. Don't do that. What a picture that makes, and it certainly isn't working. Even the simplest daily tasks has turned into a tug of war, my will against hers. What am I accomplishing in this power struggle? Can I alter the course of her disease through the sheer force of my will? If not, what is my goal? What I have been doing has not been much help. It seems, in fact, most unhelpful. I'm cross and oversensitive, and my mother is constantly on the defensive. At home, I persuade Mama to lie down. I put on one of the cassette tapes of hymns that seems to please her. After a while, I find myself humming, humming along with a hymn from my childhood, just as I am. I can't remember all the words, but the refrain keeps repeating in my mind, just as I am, just as I am, not as you'd like me to be, just as I am right now, not yesterday 
or last year, just as I am here and now. And suddenly, I'm aware that the one thing I haven't done for my mother is see her. Really see her. Just as she is. I've been looking at her in the same way that I looked at her since I was a teenager. Seeing her as a person who's strong, capable, hardworking, confident, in control. I've been so busy chasing ghosts from the past that I have not made an effort to relate to her just as she is, confused, frightened, and alone. I feel a hand on my shoulder. Mama is standing next to me, a big smile on her face. Hi, honey, she says. Hi, Mama, what's up? Just me, she replies. That's wonderful. I turn to give her a hug. What was that for, she asked. Just for you, I answered. Just for you being you. I'm tired now. I think I'll take a nap. She walks over to the couch, makes herself comfortable, and shuts her eyes. I know now what I need to do in order to heal my relationship with my mother. My first priority is to remove the past from our present. It isn't easy. Many times I find myself slipping into old patterns, but the results are worth the effort. I stop trying to get her to admit that she is confused. If she believes that she can still do all the cooking and cleaning, so what? It's a harmless belief, and it helps her maintain her sense of dignity. When she asks for her mother or someone else long dead, I answer gently, and she looks at me and says, My mama's dead? Isn't she? And I nod yes. I thought, I thought so, she says, shaking her head slowly and returning to her place on the couch. I let go of my remembered mother and began struggling to see the mother right here in front of me. I dropped my expectations and allow her the freedom to be old and confused. I stopped myself from saying or thinking anything that implies she is not doing her best. She no longer needs to defend herself, and our tug-of-wars over meals and sleep have ended. Mother doesn't change. She doesn't stop sleeping all day and roaming about the house at night. She doesn't stop marching in place whenever she has to stand for more than a second. She doesn't stop needing constant care and attention. What changes is how I respond to her. I open my heart and my arms and begin to see her stubbornness, not see her stubbornness, but her innocence. Not her confusion, but her vulnerability. And I see that she is truly doing her best. 
I stop trying to force her to be what she can no longer be. In so doing, I give her the freedom to be wholly who she can be. And she becomes like a child again, trusting, open, loving, living out her life at peace, just as she is. I am standing at another checkout counter now, putting back the things my mother keeps removing from the display rack. She smiles at me. It has become a game to her. I smile back. She is my mother, and I love her. Mama, you are a scamp, I tease her gently. <laughs> I know, she grins. I love you, Mama. I love you too, she answers. Yesterday, but the day before, when I was thinking about sharing that story, I think about how I come so short in certain areas of my life when it comes to that kind of situation. I've got two amazing sons down here. Ryan is 41. Can you wave, Ryan? Vante is 19 now. Can you wave, Vant? I find myself being that daughter some days to these guys. Stop it. Quit doing that. Can you quit talking about the same thing for the 57th time in the last three minutes? Quit doing this. Quit doing that. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard sometimes to realize that the only real problem in my scenario is me. It's funny we tell a three-year-old to act like a grown-up when we don't even do it, right? It's funny that we can demand things out of others that we don't even do ourselves. And after listening to the same song on YouTube for the 43rd time in a row, and you would really like to smash the TV and the guitar that you're hearing playing the same song for the 43rd time in a row. But when you look in the smile, in the face, and you hear this one talk about the van that picks him up for work, for the 300th time in a row. And yet he's so excited to go to work, he can't wait for the next morning. Ick. <laughs> yeah, you love work. And yet you look in the face. And the kids, I mean, come on, act like an adult. No, you can't. You're a kid. I'm not capable of it. And all I realize is that at the end of the day, if I don't look at them who they are, 
I'm the one with the problem. And I'm the one that doesn't sleep well that night. Now, if you're a school teacher, take this to your classroom with you tomorrow. And you have 25 crazy third graders. And you probably have three or four that sit still. But what are those kids living in? What's their family like? What's going on when you're not there? Can you love them just as they are? Could you bring up the scripture from the last one from John chapter 8, I think it was, I had written down. I don't know about you, but don't you get tired of being so frustrated with all the imperfect people in the world when we're just perfect? Huh? My daughter, Christina, used to call me. She lived in San Antonio when she was in her early 20s. So she'd call me on the phone every morning when she was going to work. And just about half of the conversation was her yelling at other drivers. You know what I mean, don't you, Dan? And finally, one day I said to her, Chris, could you just for a moment picture your grandma Dudley driving that car that you just yelled at? I heard a gasp. She said, I'm sorry, Dad. I said, don't ever call me again and complain about a driver. I'm just going to hang up the phone. Now, I might have complained about a driver once, Peter. I don't know, maybe twice, but... But do you see what I'm saying? If we give ourselves free reign to be critical and to be right all the time, do you realize how wrong we become? Everything gets turned upside down because everything is everybody else's fault. And if they would just stop and they would just start doing it right, like this mother, if she would have just quit... Life would be great, but guess what, folks? We do not live in a great world. We live in a fallen world that's full of hurt and pain and suffering and heartache and brokenness. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've messed up plenty. And I'm so glad when my wife will reach over in the morning and she says, oh, I adore you. She doesn't give me a list of prerequisites before she says that. She just tells me, I'm so thankful for you. Puts a little bounce in my step, Tom. Yeah, I am the man. Aren't you glad Jesus deals with us? right where we are. Well, if you just stop doing this and this and this and this and this and this and this, then I'll do this for you. No. John chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. 
early in the morning came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So here he is, just chilling with his, with the boys, you know. Actually, the girls were there too, because it said all the people came. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Not only was she cheating, they caught her in the very act. Whether they had set her up, I don't know. Whatever the situation, doesn't matter. They brought her and set her in the midst. I'm so glad that God doesn't grab me and throw me in the midst when I've done something wrong. And they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And they said this tempting him that they might have something to accuse him by. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though that he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning from the eldest and even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had what? Lifted her up. Is that on the screen behind me? No. All right, just don't worry about what you're seeing up there. Listen to what I'm telling you. It said, when Jesus had lifted her up, And saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those who accused you? Has no man condemned you? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wherever people are, There's a need for grace, and there's a need for seeing them where they are. Does anybody in here struggle with that besides me? No one? You are a holy, holy group. Now, we all do, every one of us. And it's real, the pain that people walk in. The lady in this story did not choose to have Alzheimer's. Tom, did you wake up one morning and choose to go to war? No. Did you choose to have children die? No. Did you choose to have your spouse cheat on you? Did you choose 
fill in the blank. No. But sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we have not chosen. And what my message this morning is more about is not looking at that, but looking around and wondering, where are you? Where's Zach today? What's Martha going through? And then changing from being just everything's great all the time to really meeting that person right where they are and really helping them and loving them and encouraging them to be all they can be. I'm going to have the guys from the band come back up for a second. We're going to play one song as we end today. But I really am challenged by my own message today. That's what God did to me. I invited Vaunt to come up. Rod's going to help you up there. I invited him to play guitar with us today. He did a great job, didn't he? Anybody got a clap for him? <laughs> Take a bow, buddy. But Vaunt is Vaunt. I challenge you to change him. <laughs> Come on over and spend the next 15, 20 years and see how that works out for you. My wife always asks me that. Well, how's that working for you, honey? <laughs> but we don't need to change each other. You know what we need to do? Love each other right where we are. Let's stand and sing this old song together. the right song up there now? Just as I am. Just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me at that
wanted to do this to confess the Lord Jesus Christ before heaven and earth and any people. And so anyway, he said, this is the last time, the last time we'll sing through. So I, I finally got up and I, well, we were standing ready. And I walked past all my friends. I had to get past all my friends. and went down on the grass of the football field. And he prayed a prayer and I prayed with him just to affirm my faith. When we were done, I turned back and all my friends had followed. There was this whole row of friends and we just rejoiced together in the Lord. Some of them had made confession before others hadn't. But it was an affirmation. The Lord has different ways of doing that. We can do it different ways. But today, if you would like to do that, we want to welcome you to come here. I'll stay here. Kent will be here. Chantel and others. Joyce, uh, to pray with you. To receive Jesus. Or maybe it's to come back to Jesus. It'll be the best decision you ever made in your life decision. That also includes those that are watching online. Just come to the Lord. You need a Savior. And it's just as you are. You don't have to get every all your ducks in a row first and then come to Him. Come to Him now just like you are. Receive Him as your Savior best thing you ever did in your life. Do it right now, right where you are in that room, wherever you're watching this. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. So we will close the service. Be free to come for prayer, but also stay for fellowship. We have a great meal that we can partake of together. And thank you, Kit and Chantel, and Bended Knee is the group. Lord, we just thank you. We pray over this group as they're going places. We Bismarck this summer, but other places too, we know, this summer as they minister in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We as a church, we are giving, of course, we give folks an honorarium, but if you would like to give to that, to the ministry of Bended Knee, free to do that as well. You know, and you can just get an, off, an envelope from the box in the back, write out a check to Ten Strike Community Church, but put on there Kent Dudley and Bended Knee just to, to let us know where we will send that. Father, we pray over this group in Jesus' name. We thank you for your anointing on them. Wherever they go, you would touch people's lives right where they are, just as they are. And Lord, for those that are making decisions today, we pray that they will make it, they will do it, they will put action where their heart is. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everyone in agreement 
agreement said. Amen. Hallelujah. Anything else before we go? God bless you. Let's Jesus sing it one more time. Just as I am.